Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. Good to see everybody. My name's Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at the Vineyard. Uh, If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, If you ever noticed movies, uh, many movies start with this bird's eye view of like you're flying over this small, quaint, idyllic little village or city or town and you're going past the trees as the movie starts and some of the credits are coming on and you go past the beautiful main street and you go past the elms and the oaks and invariably, eventually, you come to a steeple. I don't know how many movies that do that, but you come up on a steeple and there it is. Many times near the center of town, there is a church. Steeples, uh, I never did get, I wasn't really raised in church that much and so I didn't quite understand what steeples were for and so I did a little research and found out that uh, they came into being around 600 A.D., uh, that architects said that, hey, the lines of a steeple point toward God. So it was kind of preaching a message that God is high and lifted up. Uh, Also, they said that other art in the building, like uh, stained glass and and beautiful, beautiful stuff and architecture, all of it back in the day was a way to be able to preach the gospel to the illiterate, and that is not many people could actually read from 600, you know, right on up through probably up to the 19th century, late 18th century or so, many of them couldn't. And so the churches were built such that they themselves as a building would preach the gospel and preach the gospel to uh, people who probably couldn't read the Bible. When uh, I was a small guy coming into Conway, my dad was, uh, we were coming into town and there Two steeples, actually three, I noticed yesterday. I had to go over there, and uh, as you come over the bridge, you look to the right, and there's Kingston Presbyterian Church, a very old church with a long history there, and you see it on the right when you come over the bridge. To the left, you'll see the First United Methodist uh, steeple, and uh, then a little further back, you can, I think it's First Baptist, there's a steeple over there too. When I was small, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, what's with these pointy things? You know, what's, these, what's with these pointy things on these buildings? Uh, I don't quite understand what they are. And, and my dad said, well, those are called steeples. And, and I was like, well, why do they have them on buildings? What's the deal? Well, they are on churches. And I said, well, why are they on churches? And he said, they are on churches so that people, when they come into town, they can see where to get help and where to find God. And that was the end of the conversation. And I thought, look, that's, you know, that's pretty cool. We're finishing off a series today in the book of Philippians in the New Testament. We've been in this series for 11 weeks. And it's a small book. <laughs> and we could have spent really probably a year in this, uh, these four chapters of this wonderful, uh, wonderful letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to his favorite local church, the church in Philippi. We're going to close it out today over in the fourth chapter in the 10th verse to the 23rd verse. 
And I'm calling this sermon, and I think Paul, I think Paul would like this, because I'm calling this the last uh, part of this series, The Church as Friend. Because if there's anything that was pervasive through this book, it was that Paul loved this local church and they loved him. And there was a friendship that had bonded between them. So we're going to take a look in these last verses. What does it mean to be a church that's a friend? And uh, you can pray for me and uh, pray that I'll be able to do this justice. But let's read the passage first and then I'll pray. If you've got your Bibles, this will be from the NLT. Uh, Philippians 4 verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Now that, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled, from Macedon, traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, we ask for you to bless your word today. Breathe life on it. Help me, Lord, and my weakness. Give me the gift of teaching. Uh, help me to be able to, to fairly and and clearly articulate that which you want us to hear. Lord, we as your local church want to hear this letter from you, like you were writing it to us, as Paul was writing it to them. We want it to be read as coming from Paul himself, and most of all, directly from you. So help us have ears to hear today. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've got to fill in if you want to track along. If you're new, it's... Uh, you probably have a pen as well. It's in your handout. You can take it. Scriptures, there are some questions I put on there uh, every week. So when you leave from here and you go to lunch, you can, you can have a discussion about this. Get all you can out of it or in your small group. There's reference scriptures in there too. Yes, I have read them. And uh, they apply to this text, uh, at least for me. So I hope you'll enjoy them as well. Paul's going to use three metaphors in the, uh, the three parts to this today, the way I've broken this out. His first metaphor is, is really a beautiful one when he talks about this church. Uh, in verse 10, uh, he goes, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Well, Paul, those of you who don't know, I'll catch you up really quickly. Paul is in jail while he's writing this letter. He is shackled to a Roman 
Praetorian Guard. Praetorian Guard is a very special elite group of soldiers. There's about 9,000 of them. They protect Caesar, protect his house, protect uh, the whole facilities there. And that is who Paul is shackled to. Now, not just one. They keep rotating them in and out. And, and I can just imagine Paul and these soldiers wondering, why is this guy, he's probably in his you know, 40s, 50s by now, he's, why is this guy, why are they holding him in jail? He's not a rebel. He's not causing problems or violence. And Paul ends up talking to them about Jesus, about this Christ who has come. And, and uh, it just had to be an incredible you know, situation. But he, in jail there, there's no one to take care of him. Unlike today, where you have a television and food and heat and uh, cooling. And uh, all, when you were put in jail here, you got no food, you got no water. You didn't receive anything unless some friend or family came along and had money to buy it for you. So this church... The church in Philippi heard that Paul was in need. And so they sent Epaphroditus and they sent some others to bring that offering to Rome to where Paul is in jail to take care of him. And so Paul is sending this letter, this beautiful, wonderful letter back to the church to say, thank you, my friends. Thank you for thinking of me. And in verse 10, uh, as we begin the text, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last... You renewed your concern for me. The first metaphor Paul uses is, is a botanical metaphor. And, and this uh, renewed is a term for like a blossoming. Uh, at, you know, finally, your friendship for me has blossomed. Friendships are like that, aren't they? I mean, they go through seasons. Sometimes you don't smell the great fragrance of friendships. And then all of a sudden something happens and they blossom again. And, and you see that they care and they love you. And uh, Paul is no different even in this friendship with the church. He's like, hey, I'm seeing now this renewing, this, re this blossoming of your love like a flower for me and your care and your concern. So such is the tenor of this letter, the way he wrote it. Your first feeling is this, is that a healthy friendship, a healthy friendship involves giving and receiving. A healthy friendship Involves giving and receiving. That's a healthy one. As you know, verses 14 and 15, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news. He gave, they gave. It was reciprocal. Um, and that's the way healthy friendships are. I mean, you've been in friendships when it's one-sided, haven't you? Yeah, but maybe it'll re-blossom, right? It'll blossom again and things will become much more reciprocal because good and healthy friendships are like that. There are seasons where one of us has to give while the other one's in a position of not being able to give, so they receive. And then the season rolls around and that person needs something and so we blossom and, and we come to the aid of them, we come alongside them. And there's a giving and there's a receiving. And that's the way a healthy relationship, a healthy friendship should be. And even within the church, even the church itself has this reciprocal giving and receiving in the life of the church. We should always be in that process somewhere in giving and receiving. And uh, Paul says in verse 17 that he is really praying and looking for a reward for their kindness. That there is a reward for their giving. And uh, he's talking about the treasures that Jesus talked about in Matthew 6 that were built up in heaven. Um, Paul knows that in the life that they were living under the persecution and how tough it was that 
And though he believes that they will be blessed now on the earth, he knows for a fact that as they show such kindness to, to what he is doing, that they are building up a treasure, a reward for them, as we're going to see later on in heaven for them. And so he's excited about that, that in their giving, that they will be also reciprocated and be given to as well. Now, this giving involves, and this is your next fill-in, a concern. A concern. Verse 10 says, you are concerned about me again. There's the blossoming again. Uh, you are concerned, and the church as a friend needs to have this deep-seated concern for itself, for its members, as well as for its community. And being that Paul is writing to the local church like he would be writing to us, I think this is more specifically talking to within the church, and that is that we need to take care of one another. We need to have a concern for one another. That's a healthy church. And, and honestly, you know, today, I really appreciate all you guys coming out. This is, we, it's hard for us to show concern for each other uh, here, but in small groups or in our friendships, in places that we can gather together to really get to know one another, then we can find out what the concern is. And, and we can't be the friend that the church should be if we don't really know one another, if we don't get to know each other. We don't know. We don't know that the friendship needs to blossom and there's a time to give and there's a time to receive. So there's a concern. And a church that concerns itself with the care of one another is well on its way to being, being a friend. But concern is just kind of a mind thing. How many times do we always go, boy, I'm really concerned for them. We do that, then we go, hey, want to go get coffee? And we just, you know, we, we just, don't we? I mean, we pass through each other's mind. And we're like, I'm really concerned for them. Well, maybe not that much, huh? It's like we thought about each other. But real friends in a church that's a friend also, and this is your next villain, not only do they have a concern, but they look for opportunity. They look for opportunity to show that concern. Paul says in verse 10, but you didn't have the chance to help me. You didn't have the opportunity before, but now you do have the opportunity. And in a church's friend, a church's friend, when we get concerned for one another, we're going, okay, God, show me where I fit in to being able to do something about it. Where's my opportunity? Where's my chance? Where's my opening in this need that this person has or this ministry or situation? Where is it? Because I think God doesn't drop things into our hearts. I, mean, I don't think we just go around. We as followers of Jesus, we just don't have these flighty ideas. You know, Jesus leads us. The Holy Spirit. We're going to start a new series next week called God Inside Out on the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn about how he speaks to us and talks to us. And the Holy Spirit will drop thoughts into our heart and our mind many times where we need to look for opportunity. We need to say, okay, God. I am concerned about this. Now, how do, I, how do I do something about it? Show me the door. Show me how to jump in there. And this church in Philippi saw the door, saw the opportunity with Paul being in prison uh, to do something about his health and how to support him and to encourage him. And uh, so it needs a concern. A good church that's a friendly church to itself and to those outside of its walls you know, we have a concern, but we also need to look for opportunity. We need to be an active church, an organism. This, you know, it's got a life flow to it. It just doesn't take into itself. It gives. And that's the joy of church is being a part of a giving body. There's life here. 
Now, that's the botanical metaphor, the blossoming of the friendship. Now, next, as we move into verses 15 and 17, uh, Paul is going to use a banking metaphor. So he's used this natural uh, metaphor, and now he's moving to a structured type metaphor to, to say thank you to the church in Philippi. And your next fill-in under two is a healthy friendship involves partnering and purpose. Partnering and purpose. I really think even our best friendships always involve us doing things together. Like we find things to do and we we try to accomplish something together. Have you noticed that your deep and best friendships are always, you find yourselves coming alongside one another, helping maybe move, helping one another uh, clean out the old apartment, Go to the dorm and clean out and move somewhere else or, or come to the house and they bought another one. Or you find someone that there's a, a rotten floor in their house and you come along and you fix it. And what a wonderful thing to be able to find purpose and to find direction and to partner with friends within the church to get something done. Paul says in verse 15, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news. And then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help, the Philippian church, more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. Paul says, I'm on a mission. We're on a mission. The church is called the mission. We have a purpose We're partnered together here at the Vineyard for a reason. I mean, we have a very high calling. When you began to follow Jesus, you were immediately drafted into the mission of God. Immediately. And what we don't want to do is go AWOL. (laughs) We want to find the mission. We want to be a partner in it. And we want to participate in it. And Paul looks at the church and in all of his journeys in planting churches in You know, Philippi was the first European church plant. Lydia, the founder, you know, of this church, the first member of this church, uh, was the first European European convert. And uh, the church met at her house. And so he's moving from there and trying to branch out. And he says, you guys in that church, you're the only ones that stood with me. In Thessalonica, nobody sent me help but you, you Philippians. In Corinth, nobody sent me help but you. When the Jerusalem church was in trouble, nobody sent me help but you. You were there. There was a partnering of that church into the mission. They were on that mission as much as Paul was. And every good friendship is like a partnership. And it has a purpose in it. There's a collaboration, a cooperation, a cohesion. Uh, There is a coalescing together when you find out that this person can help you here and you can help them there that it nicely fits together and together we get so much more done than we could by ourselves we're so much better together than we are alone and a church that's a friend learns to do that well do it well this church uh, had quite a reputation over in second corinthians 11 you don't have to flip over there i'll read this to you but Paul is writing to another church, and this is his second letter that we know about, uh, that wasn't doing that great. They had some special challenges. And uh, so Paul is writing them a letter, and he says this, 
in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 8 through 9, I robbed, metaphorically, <laughs> I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you, talking to the Corinthian church, at no cost. And when I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, I did not become a financial burden to anyone, the Corinthian church. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, that's the Philippian church he's talking about. For the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed. I have never been a burden to you, and I never will be. Why? Because this church was not partnering with Paul the way the Philippian church was. And Paul says, hey, you won't partner with me? I'm here because they're taking care of me. This other church has partnered and found a purpose, and that is supporting what I'm doing here to see your church come to be a healthy church. So there's this coming alongside. There's a, there's, this is your next fill-in. There is a mission involved in this. As I said, we're called to mission from the moment we come to know Jesus. You are drafted into the mission. And this banking metaphor that Paul uses is like deposits that build interest. One commentary said that it was compound interest that the Philippians were building as they you know, came alongside Paul in all of his ministry work. In verses 15 and 16, Paul says, You Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news. The only ones. The mission of God. The church's friend is going somewhere. This friendship in this church, in the vineyard, is going somewhere. We are on mission. We get together and we worship. We pray for one another. We have meals. We celebrate. We have a lot of fun. But we're all going somewhere. There is a purpose for us. There's a reason for us to exist beyond ourselves. And so we partner together in that. There's mission. But it's not just the mission. God is going to use our participation in the mission as a, this is your next feeling, means, as a means to bless you and to help you grow up as a Christian. He's going to use this as a means. Paul says he rejoices over their investment in the work that he's doing. And he says this, which is such a contrary statement. He goes, not that I desire your gifts. It's like, it's not that I want your money or I want you to do this. He says, what I desire even more is that you get this credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. In other words, church, your coming alongside in the, in the mission, in the partnership, is going to be God's means of blessing you. Now, some of you know that, how it's a blessing to give, right? You know that, how it's a blessing to come alongside uh, someone who's, actually it's a lot easier to come alongside someone who's doing something than you starting it yourself. It's to find someone, you know, that's doing it and go, I, yeah, I like that. I'm going to come alongside. And then you began to give and you began to be a part of that. And uh, Paul says, yeah, there is a, there, this is the means by which God blesses you now, but he's also going to bless you in the future, as Jesus talked about. You're building up your account in heaven. And Paul says, I am... Because he's a good pastor, a really good pastor. He says, I'm concerned about that for you, Philippians. 
Because I want to know that your account with God is being increased. And so, yeah, you're taking care of me. Again, I've got more than enough because you've been so kind to me. But the thing that really gets me is that by your giving to this purpose and to this mission, you are building up your account with God. God sees that you are a part of this. And I'm concerned with that more than I am about me getting my needs met. I want to know that this church that I love is not selfish and greedy, but is a giving and kind and benevolent church. And that it's building up its account with God in heaven. And we won't see much of that, you know, till in eternity what that account's going to look like. That's why it takes faith to build now and to do the things that we're called to. But Paul reminds this church there's another account you can't see. And it's going in there and it's compound interest that's going in there. You're going to get back a whole lot more than you put in. And, you know, it's like God uses these opportunities like what we're seeing here to mature us as much as he does to meet a need. I dare see that, say that many times God's doing more in our life as the giver and the supporter of a mission than he is actually in the mission because it's part of our growing up. It's part of us becoming mature believers and followers of Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. Philippian church, you're doing great. Look at your attitude. Look at your generosity. And you're going to be repaid. It's going to come back to you. It's going to come back to you in compound interest one day. God is going to use this as a means to bless you. Um, one commentary said the imagery of a bank account. It's the imagery of a bank account that receives that compound interest. Uh, and Paul was talking about finances and food and support there. And in one, uh, one commentary, they had a few quotes from some people. John Wesley was one, the founder of Methodism, the Methodist church. John Wesley said, make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. <laughs> That's pretty good. You know, why would you be in business if you didn't want to make all you could? And then, uh, you know, save all you can and give all you can. Jacques Ellul said, there is one act par excellence which profanes money by going directly against the law of money. An act for which money is not made. The act of giving. You rebel against your money and give it. <laughs> you know, don't let it. Because it wasn't made for that. It wasn't made for giving. It was made to hold you, to control you. And Jacques says, you know, rebel against it. And that's the thing. It's this Philippian church, though they didn't have much, they were not going to be held hostage by that. And we're not going to let them, that rob them from being a partner in what God was doing through Paul and through the planting of churches all around the area and even into Europe now. So we've got the botanical metaphor of a friendship blossoming again. Paul uses a banking metaphor to say that our uh, kindness in the church in Philippi is making an investment in the future that is going to bring a, a lot of dividends and compound interest in the future. And now he moves to his third and his last metaphor. And that's the metaphor of the Old Testament sacrifices. And your third fill-in is this. A healthy friendship involves generosity and gratitude. A healthy friendship involves generosity and gratitude. Verses 18 through 23. At the moment, I have all I need. And more, I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus 
They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, all glory to God, our Father, forever and ever. Amen. A healthy friendship involves generosity and gratitude. You've been around generous people. They are a lot of fun to be with. Because talking about generosity and being grateful, most generous people are grateful people. That I've seen now, every now and then you find a generous person who like wants you to know they're generous. Occasionally, it's true, right? You know, people want you to know that they're that generous. But a lot of times, the people that are the most generous and have the biggest smiles on their face, they never even tell anybody what they do. They just do it. And they have this joy about their life that just is pervasive. This church was like that. They were a very generous church. But they were also a grateful church. One that was thankful to be a part of what God was doing in their time, in their day, in the location, and the fact that they could be a part of something so much further away than what Paul was doing. Generous people. Grateful people. David Brooks, the writer in the New York Times, had, I don't know if you read it this past week, but had a phenomenal article. It's on my Facebook page, the whole article, if you want to read it. I, I do want to read a portion of it to you. Because he expressed what gratefulness means in such a way that I just found it uh, just very touching. Gratitude happens when some kindness exceeds expectations, when it is undeserved. Gratitude is a sort of laughter of the heart that comes about after some surprising kindness. Most people feel grateful some of the time. After someone saves you from a mistake or brings you food during an illness. But some people seem grateful dispositionally. They seem thankful practically all of the time. People with dispositional gratitude are continually struck by the fact that they are given far more than they pay for and are much richer than they deserve. In the gift economy, intention matters. We're grateful to people who tried to do us favors even when those favors didn't work out. In the gift economy, imaginative empathy matters. We're grateful because some people showed they care about us more than we thought they did. We're grateful when others took on an imaginative leap and put themselves in our mind, even with no benefit to themselves. People with grateful dispositions see their efforts grandly, but not themselves. Life doesn't surpass their dreams, but it nicely surpasses their expectations. Man, love that. And I love that. Gratitude is a sort of laughter of the heart that comes after some surprising kindness. That's why we should be a laughing church, because you, church, are a very kind church. And you, church, are a very generous church. Uh, We just came back from our conference, our national conference, and we got to see much of what you guys have sown into over the years, because part of our giving to the vineyard uh, works with missions. And, of course, we have Doug Dorman, our own missionary, is out there we support, and, and Linus Morris. And, uh, but the vineyard missions, we gathered with 60 other nations. Uh, there's like 2,500 other vineyards across the world. There's only 600 in America. 
And we've got so many uh, in Africa and in the global south and elsewhere, we can't number them because they're up in the mountains. We have people going up and starting churches. And we got to see people from the Sudan that have planted churches on the mountain when they were escaping, when all the refugees were moving out. This one guy that was there with us planted 15 churches up on top of that mountain with the refugees. And that is you, you know, planting and being a part and a partnership with them and with what the, the global church, the global vineyard church is doing. That is your generosity. And that is your gratefulness because you're grateful for what God has done in your life. And so it turns out, and we turn it outside and we become a generous people. It's who we are. And uh, the church at Philippi, you know, didn't have a lot. They didn't have a lot. But they gave a lot because giving is not based on how much you have, but how much you give of what you have. It doesn't matter about the amount. It matters about what you do with what you have. That's what makes the difference. In uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 2, Paul is again talking about the Philippian church to this church in Corinth. And here's how he describes them. In the midst of a very severe trial, Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. The Jerusalem church was in trouble. It needed was a famine in the land. They needed help. Nobody was coming to their aid. The Philippian church, the one we've been studying for 11 weeks, goes, Hey, we want to give to it. We want to help. And Paul goes, You guys don't have anything. You're, you, know, you don't have anything to give. And they go, No, please, please let us give, Paul, please. And he goes, No, man, there are other churches with more. Let them give. No, let us give. I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, look at this formula. Here's the Philippian church. I should have put this on the screens. Severe trial. If you're mathematic, you'll like this. Severe trial plus overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. What's the sandwich meat? Joy. Joy. I mean, the bread's like, ah, the bread's not that great. Severe trial, extreme poverty, but boy, we got joy. And in that joy, it breaks out in rich generosity. Rich generosity. It's not about how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. And this church was doing all it could with what it had to bless others. And, uh, and it went up, this, this Old Testament metaphor, it went up like the Old Testament sacrifices of the wood, the, the smell. It would go up to God's nostrils and he would smell that offering that they gave and it was beautiful and wonderful to God. Not just to Paul, but God could smell it. It was a fragrance to him. So you have the blossoming of the friendship. You have the banking metaphor that there's interest that's going to be paid on the kindness and the generosity. And now you have this, you know, you have this Old Testament sacrifice picture where what this church does is a beautiful, wonderful odor to God, a fragrance that makes him smile. And it does so much for Paul. That's a friendly church. That's a church that was a friend to Paul. And that's a church that was a friend to its community. Now, to close this out, I want you to notice two things. In verse 18 through 20, he says, Now, all glory to God. That's your next feeling, glory. All glory to God. He brings it back to the main thing being the main thing, and that is 
this church and all of the wonderful attributes that it has had as a friend, all of that went to glorify God. God was to get the glory in this. Now, all glory to God, our Father, forever and ever. God, you get the glory because you're the ones that's touched our heart in this church. You saved us. You brought us from a poverty of morality and being able to even stand before you. We could not stand before you. And you cleansed us, forgave us. You put your spirit inside of us and you called us to follow you into this world. God, that's, you get the glory because you did the work in our hearts and you continue to do the work. So any good that we do, Lord, you get the glory. You get the glory. And then he says this in 23, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's going to take grace for a church to be this kind of friend. It took the grace of God with the Philippian church being that destitute, not having much. He's them to be able to say, I give what we have. Here we're sending Epaphroditus to you, Paul. He's coming with an offering. He's coming with help to be with you. It took the grace of God to do that. It's going to take the grace of God for Yodia and Syntyche, these two ministers, these two ladies that minister with Paul. Uh, it's going to take grace for them to work their stuff out. So Paul says, the grace be with your little s spirit. May the grace of God be with your spirit to help you walk this out the proper way. And one thing, it, Paul, one last thing here, Paul drops a, like a PS bomb right here at the end. And he just passes over and you wish he would talk more about it. But he says, he says right here at the end, he goes, oh, give my greetings to each of God's holy people. Each, he didn't say blanket, not don't read the letter out to the whole church and go, church, Paul says he loves you. No, he tells the people, right, probably Epaphroditus who took this back, he says, look, you take this letter and you go to every single one in the church and you tell them, you tell them I love them and I bless them, every single one of them, because I know every one of them are with me in this. To each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus, and he goes, the brothers who are with me send you their greetings, then he does this, the next to the last verse. And all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. What? And then he just made the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. See you later. I mean, what? Caesar's household? You are shackled to a Praetorian guard. I mean, Caesar has you shackled. What do you mean? There's believers in Caesar's household? He just like drops a little ditty in there. In other words... You are supporting something that's making a difference even in Caesar's household. Somehow, Paul is starting to share Christ with others and actually the emperor's own groups of people around him, somehow they are being led to Christ and they're coming to know him. And then he just signs off. I mean, wouldn't you want to know more? It's like, gosh, let's, let's find out what is going on here. Man, what a beautiful church, huh? What a beautiful church. Uh, the local church, the Philippian church, this church, Seacoast Vineyard. You know, we've given away our offerings twice in the history of this church, every bit of it on Sunday mornings. We've given it away to other churches. We've given it to ministries. Maybe we need to do it again. I love doing it. We used to have this competition in the vineyard. We tried to see who could outgive each other, and there was a trophy that was passed along to the different churches. And like whoever gave away the most of their Sunday morning uh, offering got a trophy, and they got to keep it. But, of course, they were too humble to receive it. So, um, <laughs> because if they received it, then they, I was all right. Well, you, know, you just lost it. 
This is the first church in Europe. This is the first uh, advance out into a new territory. This church was with them. And it is the place. Let me tell you, church, I love the local church. Uh, we've given our lives to it. And then I still love it. And yeah, it's got warts and it walks with a limp. And it's not the prettiest thing sometimes in the world. But I love it. Jesus loves it. It's his bride. And the local church is where it comes alive, where it really happens. This is the place where people find hope, home, peace, and purpose. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.